Episode 23 of the Buddy Ball Podcast. Today I'm joined by Justin Matcham, a junior at Bowling Green State University and head manager of the school's men's basketball team. Justin and I have similar interests in the NBA, specifically the intricacies of the salary cap. And I wanted to bring him on today to talk about his favorite team, the Cleveland Cavaliers. After a brief conversation about what he's been up to in the past few months, we talk about the Cavs' early season success, deploying a two-guard, three-big starting lineup, the roster construction of this Cavs team, including the Lowry Markinen sign-in trade, Jared Allen's new contract, and even the decision to pick up Dylan Windler's $4 million rookie scale option for the 2022-2023 season. That's how you know this pod is a niche one. We end with three big picture questions about the future of the Cavs coach, J.B. Bickerstaff, general manager, Kobe Altman, and the ceiling of their stud rookie, Evan Mobley. I should note that we recorded this podcast on Sunday night after the team's impressive win in Madison Square Garden over the Knicks, but before Colin Sexton's meniscus injury was announced. Great episode with Justin. But first, Chicago! All right. Hey, Justin, how you doing this evening? Doing great, man. Uh, I said it's been busy, but but glad to be able to be in here. Awesome. Well, yeah, my, the first thing I wanted to ask you about is, so I, the last time I saw you, I, I guess the only time I've seen you in person was uh, in at Summer League in, in Vegas in August. So I'd just love to hear what you've been up to since then. Yeah, so since Vegas, um, obviously it was, it was great being there. It was great meeting you in person. Um, you were a lot busier than I was there. I mean, I got to kind of just relax and enjoy myself a little bit. Obviously, you know, I was doing all the networking I could, but I know you were there busting your tail. Um, but it was great to meet you there. It's been great to talk to you other times. But anyway, you know, since then, um, just been a lot of basketball back here. Obviously, I'm, I go to school at Bowling Green. Um, I'm the head manager for their men's team. Uh, it's just been a lot. And I mean, it's been, you know, basically I had to take a week off from basketball even to go to Vegas. So um, just been there every day in practice it's progressively ramped up to the point now where um we're we're having our first game um on tuesday so we are leaving for western carolina tomorrow that's in Sylvan, north carolina uh we got a game later that week we're going to ohio state next week we're going to florida the week after so um definitely a lot busier now than it was over the summer but it's just been kind of you know every day being there um, doing everything I need to do there. And on top of that, just another kind of cool thing I did get to do was uh, work an open tryout for a, a G League open tryout for the Cleveland Charge. Um, so got to be there, got to you know, just kind of referee stuff, run the clock, just simple stuff like that. But that was a lot of fun too. Um, you know, I, I knew a few, I, I'd talked to a few people within the Charge organization, just like over the phone or over text. But again, you know, similar to just what it was in Vegas, it was great to meet a lot of those people in person. So just basketball hasn't stopped for me it's been it's been fun to just keep it straight keep going straight on through so what's like the biggest takeaway you have from your work with like 
high level basketball players, whether it's in, in college or, or like with the, at that Cleveland charge tryout, you know, if, if, if there's one takeaway, like just, just kind of being in that environment, like, what is that for you? I mean, there are a lot of takeaways I can say. Um, one, maybe the biggest one is that there isn't a job too small. Um, you know, especially in my position, I, I've had to, I, I've, I came in as, you know, a freshman with, you know, Bowling Green's men's team. And it's basically just doing literally whatever you can. And I mean, last year, um, so we, like my freshman year was the year before COVID. And obviously like we had a bunch of managers then um, and it got cut down to two and I was fortunate enough to be one of the two, my, uh, my sophomore year. But, um, and that, that right there just kind of teaches you that, you know, you have to do everything at that point and, you know, no job is too little, um, you know, as far as just even maintaining relationships with the players, maintaining relationships with the coaches, you know, going out of your way to do something that might seem silly to you, but, you know, really helps them out, you know, no matter how small it is, um, you know, just maintaining those relationships, doing, you know, whatever you can make lives easier for those people around you. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the players are what matters, you know, when you're, when you're working for a basketball team. So doing anything you can to help them out, make anything easier for them. The same goes with the coaches, just being available and being willing to do whatever you're asked to do, or even looking for those things to do yourself, you know? That's a great answer. That's, that's really insightful. And it's a, it's a very mature answer. You probably didn't think that way, like, you know, when you're entering college and you probably have like a newfound appreciation for all the, you know, stuff sure. that yeah. goes on behind the scenes that, as you mentioned, like no one really sees, but it's like so mm-hmm. important, like in, no, in the long run. It is kind of funny. I mean, you know, you just, you think about how many times in your life you just kind of flipped on a game that's on TV and just kind of watched maybe a few minutes of it. And then maybe you're off to doing something else and you don't, I mean, I don't blame anybody for it, but you really just don't realize how much goes on behind the scenes for, you know, not only the, the home team, but, you know, for the away team, all the travel and all of the stuff that goes into travel and, you know, in my position specifically, getting food orders for every single meal for all the coaches, for all the players, you know, for yourself, um, you know, getting equipment where it needs to be at the right times, just all of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I had a similar experience of seeing like how the meat is made or whatever the expression is at, at Summer League, seeing like how that whole event gets gets put on. But yeah, um, I, I'd love to get in now to the Cleveland Cavaliers, your know the the team that you root for that you follow pretty closely Mm -hmm. very closely um and i guess it they've had to me at least a surprising start to the year in in a positive way so they they just beat the knicks by 17 uh so they moved to seven and four they've won four in a row and they've beaten four i would say like middle of the pack quality teams yeah like quality teams charlotte portland toronto and now the knicks um, so they're around league average in both offensive and defensive rating. Uh, but I, I don't want to say much, much more than that. I'd, I'd love to just hear like your high level thoughts on, you know, these, these calves through the first 11 games of the season. Well, yeah, I think it's impossible to say that. I, I don't know how anybody can say that they haven't been at least somewhat surprised by one aspect of what has gone on for this team. You know, I mean, coming into the year, I didn't have, I would say, high expectations for what they would be. Um, you know, and, and there have just been so many things that have broken the Cavs' way. Um, and you always expect a few of those things to happen, but it just seems like there are a lot more this season. Um, 
you know, starting with obviously Evan Mobley, who I think is the biggest thing that has happened for this team in a positive manner uh, has been unreal. And I didn't get to watch the game tonight. I just got out of practice. We did, Robbie, like I said, we're preparing for a big trip right now. So I'm, I'm probably going to end up watching that tonight, if not tomorrow morning. Um, but Evan Mobley has been incredible on both ends of the floor in a way that I didn't think he would be right out of the gates. Um, the offense, obviously there's things he can work on. And, you know, the, the, the obvious one is the strength, um, which is going to come with time and, you know, not really being able to back people down in the post um, and, and not really being able to use force in that type of way, but just to have the skill level that he has right now to be able to shoot, you know, even over top of people, to kind of walk into mid-range jumpers and be able to knock him down from there. Obviously, he's been one of the best lob threats in the league, uh, along with Jared Allen. But, um, you know, just the versatility that he has had on that end, he's been an incredible passer on this team. Like, that is one thing that has really jumped off the page. Um, defensively, the ability to switch. Uh, that was a really encouraging thing that we saw in Summer League was just how effective he was switching on to, you know, even, and you know, basically any Summer League guard and was really just able to shut them down. And, you know, that was really exciting to see in Summer League. But at the same time, you're thinking, okay, these are Summer League guards that he's doing this to. Like, it's really, really cool that we're seeing this. But I didn't expect him to do not the exact same thing, but a pretty similar – have a pretty similar effect um, against NBA competition to where um, there really isn't a guard who can, you know, take him off the bounce – um, well, I can't say there isn't a guard. Damian Lillard, you know, beat him a couple times in the well, more than a couple times in the Blazers game. But you know, most guards have struggled to even get shots off against him. Um, you know, most guards, you know, off the bounce, off pick and roll, kind of try to get into um, that kind of short mid range area to get you know their pull ups off, and it just hasn't worked. Either he blocks the shot or swallows it up to the point where like they either pass out of it or just chuck up some really hierarchy shot. That's lucky to even hit the rim. Um, so it's been really, really, really impressive for him just to be able to do that as well as being um, both, a, you know, strong side, you know, when somebody drives to the rim, rim protector, been a really, really good weak side rim protector as well. Um, just, you know, even if he doesn't block the shot, just influencing so many shots around the basket along with, you know, the long arms of obviously Larry Markin and Jared Allen as well. Um, overall, it's really, really, really just been a huge, huge boost to have him in the defense. And you look at what a guy like Larry Nance, for example, meant to this defense last year um, as a guy who could just guard multiple positions from kind of that forward spot um, was able to force a lot of turnovers. I think Evan Mobley has brought everything that he has and more. Yeah, and you you mentioned you didn't catch the Knicks game today, but Mobley had, I don't know if you've seen it, 26 points, nine rebounds, five assists, 11 of 15 from the field, two of four from three, and finished plus 26 in 35 minutes. Were you able to watch the Knicks game? I watched uh, maybe most of the third quarter. Uh, It was mostly the, the Ricky Rubio show. But yeah, no, that's all I've, that's all I've seen is the Ricky Rubio box score. And he, he was hitting like off the dribble threes. Yeah. He was hitting like off the dribble threes to his left, like fading away with the defender in his face. It was ridiculous. I I joked on Twitter that he looked like a Steph Curry, Steve Nash hybrid. It was (laughs) amazing. He was like, I mean, and so this kind of gets into the the next question. I guess Rubio isn't in this lineup that I'm going to ask about, but he's, he's, you know, fits one of the two prototypes in a way. So there, 
it, it's really weird to the casual basketball fan to see, you know, two players that you would consider small guards and three players, although they're, you know, marketing is kind of different from, from Allen and, and Mobley, as you would say, bigs, if you were just generalizing it. And that, for the most part, has been their starting lineup this year until marketing uh, went out a couple games ago with, with COVID. So what have you seen from that lineup specifically, J- just to put some uh, statistics on it? So that, that starting lineup in 67 minutes is plus 0.7. So they're about average. Um, so they're, they're, you know, they're not getting blown out by other starters. I guess that's, that's the first observation. Uh, but what have you seen from from that lineup more more specifically? Yeah, I mean, it is definitely wonky, um, and it definitely is clunky at times. Like, it's not always the most smooth, pleasant offense for sure. Um, and you know, you do kind of have the the two backwards things of you know going. Well, I guess not even backwards things, but just you can tell what the strategy is for Cleveland as far as trying to build um, a defense around both Darius Garland and Colin Sexton that can cover up for their weaknesses, you know, particularly perimeter defense, you know, getting caught on screens, um, you know, their, their primary defenders getting downhill um, driving into Larry Markin and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley has proven to be a difficult task this year. Um, you know, I know we've seen that, you know, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are leading the league in contests at the rim or whatever contested shots. Um, that's not, as positive of a stat as some people have maybe made it out to be because it does mean that they're the guards are getting beat off the bounce a lot and that they're having to clean up for those mistakes. Um, but at the same time, they are cleaning up for those mistakes really, really well. So, yeah, I mean, they kind of just work to each other's weaknesses and strengths, I guess, as to where on the other end, you know, you're not going to get a ton off the bounce at this point for Mobley. He has shown some really encouraging flashes. Um, you're not going to get a ton of creation by itself from Jared Allen. And even Larry Marketing hasn't really found his shot quite yet. Um, so they're leaning a lot more heavily on Darius and Garland, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton to, you know, provide offense. Um, it's been kind of a mixed bag for both of them up to this point. I wouldn't say that either of them have gotten off to a particularly bad start. Um, it was kind of weird for Darius Scotland to start, obviously, dealing with the ankle the ankle issue rather early in the season. Um, took him a little bit of time to kind of find his rhythm, find his flow. Um, and I think that kind of re- was reflected in his play. Obviously, you know, he's always going to be what he is as a passer, which is a guy who can, again, when he's getting downhill, find, you know, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley for a lob. Um, he'll try to kind of thread some passes through, you know, small holes in the defense. Um always somebody who just kind of tries to make the right play doesn't always just look for his own shot um, and has been effective there, but we're also seeing Darius Garland now um, kind of go the other way a little bit more to where he is kind of creating his own shots. Um, And he's never going to be a guy who gets to the line a lot, but is getting into the floater range more um, kind of getting those up and unders around the rim where he's able to still kind of avoid contact, even if he's getting the defender up in the air and just finish around them more. So, um, been really, really aggressive shooting three-pointers again, you know, at the beginning, um, you know, the first three or four games or so was kind of struggling to get him to fall. There were spurts there where he'd hit a couple in a row, but we've seen that, you know, slowly increase with, you know, consistency. So 
been really, really good to see from him. I think, you know, there were, there were a lot of people more so in like the, the national media, I would say that really kind of expected a monster breakout from him. And I wouldn't say that that's happened by any stretch, but um, certainly really, really promising progression as far as what we've seen. Um, the turnovers are up for him. And again, I think a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that just he is playing in a really, really bogged down offense uh, and, in general, obviously the Cavaliers have a lot of length. Um, teams are having to counter that with maybe more length as well. So there are just a lot of arms. There's a lot of, I won't say I, not a lot, but kind of a lack of spacing on the floor when he is there to where, you know, he's just having to pass around a lot more. The floor isn't as open as it would be say on, you know, most other teams. So the turnovers are up. Um, they're up for Sexton as well. Sexton just kind of doing what he does. I would say, I wouldn't say that there's been a ton of, offensive progression from him um I, I don't know exactly how I want to say that because I'm not going to say that he's like stagnant as a player but he's just kind of doing what you would expect him to do um he has had his role decreased um and I think that there was a little bit of an adjustment period there as far as just not having the ball in his hands as much um especially with the emergence of Ricky Rubio having his minutes come down a little bit yeah it's just been more of the same I would say of just being an effective efficient scorer um, you know, there are still the times where he's missing um, some open reads on the, on the three-point line. You know, there might be a guy standing on the perimeter. Um, Colin has always just kind of had the natural instinct to try to score through guys anyway. And I think he does so at a good enough clip to where, you know, you, you I think he gets more flack for the, say, open passes that he misses than he deserves because he is really good at scoring around the basket. Um, and again, has proven that this year we've seen – you know, not only just good, efficient scoring around the rim, um, but being able to even do things like what he did against the Clippers, where he had like three dunks and one of them being, you know, like with the left over Nick Batum, like he's obviously able to get in there and, and, and embrace the contact and finish and get in ones. Um, the three point shot hasn't quite come around yet for him. I'm expecting that to kind of stabilize a little bit. Um, doesn't look as comfortable just like shooting off the bounce as say Darius Garland, who can just kind of, you know, make a couple moves to create just a little bit of separation from his defender and get one off. Um, Darius able to kind of shoot normally, able to kind of shoot with more arc when he needs to just to get over defenders. Colin Sexton kind of just has that one set motion and that one set kind of rhythm with his shot to where it doesn't always look as smooth. And I think it, it, it's noticeable when he tries to take maybe, you know, more contested attempts that it's not as comfortable for him, um, you know, both in the shot mechanics and in the results. He's had a couple bad misses here or there. Um, you know, and we also see moments against um, the Raptors where, you know, at the end of the game kind of tries to take things in his own hands and didn't go so well, you know, had a couple of turnovers, a couple of loose balls, um, obviously made up for it when he, when he ended up, having a jump ball that I think he kind of was the reason that they were even in that position in the first place, but was also able to get him out of it. Um, but the motor is as high as always with him. Um, you know, he's always going to play hard. The, the contract talk, I wouldn't say has influenced um, either the way he's played or the way he kind of looks off the court. He's still the same person um, still seems just as engaged. I will say, I think there's been a slight step forward from him defensively. Um, particularly in just being, you know, more attached to his defender um, where Darius Garland still does get caught on a lot of screens. Um, Colin Sexton has done a better job of fighting through, I would say. Um, 
still, you know, has issues, still gets lost off ball at times, you know, kind of falls asleep maybe on the weak side. Um, and especially early in the year, the team was getting kind of back cuts on them left and right. And I think that has been cleaned up. But overall, just kind of circling it all around to what they were, you know, what my original point was. I think the weaknesses of Colin Sexton and Darius Garland have been covered up really, really well by the strengths of Laurie Markkinen, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen, um, you know, particularly on defense, which, by the way, Laurie Markkinen has been a, another just kind of surprise break um, and not with his shooting as somebody who has proven to be a really very good defender in the role that he's being asked to play, just a guy who, you know, can move his feet well enough and can really use his length um, combined with that mobility to really, really bother defenders on the wing. But, um, you know, those, those three guys being able to cover up the small guards weaknesses and the small guards being able to keep the offense afloat um, when those three guys are maybe not, as efficient of shot creators. And by the way, again, um, Evan Mobley has been really good there. Jared Allen has been insanely efficient around the rim. Um, And we have seen him look to post-ups a little bit more. Um, He's been solid with that. The hook shots have been falling at a decent rate. Um, And you also expect Laurie Markkinen to shoot better at some point than he has been up to this point. So that, that was a lot of great information. I wanted to take a step back and just talk about how, how this Cavs team got to where they are from like a roster construction standpoint. Um, and I'll, I'll go through like individual players to ask, you know, kind of follow up question to, to uh, some of the things that you just mentioned. So I want to start with Sexton because he was, you know, he was the player that the, the pick from the Kyrie trade turned out to be. So he's like, you know, like the last remaining thing, I guess you could call, Love and Osmond, part of the LeBron era, definitely love. But, you know, Sexton is like what they have to show for, you know, that that trade. Um, and mm-hmm. as you mentioned, he's in year four. He did not come to an extension. That and Yante's is its contract. Or, sorry. <laughs> well, say, yeah. Sexton and the uh, Ante's is its jersey that's in my closet right now. <laughs> he was in that trade. Yes, he was. Uh and he stuck around the team for a few years, even though he didn't do much. But um, so Sexton did not come to a, a contract agreement. It was reported that he was looking for about a hundred million over four years. Obviously, the Cavs were not willing to go to that number. I, I I realize it's not the exact same situation, but I think there's some parallels to like the John Collins negotiations that did not end with an extension. Where I mean. I know it's not the same type of player. It's not the same type of team, but, but at a high level, it's someone who produces, you know, really promising counting stats in their mm-hmm. third year going into their fourth year. The team has an expectation to be better and is kind of questioning what his contribution will be on a team that's more competitive where he doesn't just have the ball mm-hmm. in his hands and can kind of average what 24, 25 a game yeah. uh, with relative ease. So what did you think of Sexton not extending with the Cavs? Well, actually, I hadn't thought of the John Collins um, comparison, but I think it is a really good one, Um, especially when you consider, you know, there were a lot of fit questions surrounding John Collins, too, and just how was he going to be able to play next to Clint Capella, um, who obviously they had just traded for. Um, And I think there are a lot of similar questions there as far as, you know, will Collins Sexton, um, if 
Darius Garland does kind of establish himself to be the guy, you know, out of those two, which is to be seen, I think. Um, I would give Garland the edge right now, but I do still think that, you know, they both um, have been good up to this point. But there is the question of how do they fit? Um, and, you know, especially looking at small backcourts in the playoffs, defensively have historically not been good. Um, the Blazers obviously are kind of a one comparison that has been made commonly. Um, looking at someone like the Raptors where, you know, Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet um, are both, you know, really, really good defensively. The Cavs don't have that. Um, so it is interesting as far as um, how how you, you, you do want to go forward with uh, a potential extension with him just because um, one, the lack of historic success with, you know, this type of combination, but um, also if they feel that they are able to afford spending, you know, I, I will see if it ends up being 25. We'll see if it ends up being more, or if it be, ends up being less, um, but committing that type of making that type of financial commitment um, when you are maybe having to spend more, on, you know, a Mobley and Allen, we'll see what Garland gets um, to make that type of backcourt pairing work. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, is it worth spending that much just, and, you know, spending assets, spending trade capital, whatever, you know, draft capital um, just to make this work. Um, I think it is important to determine the ceiling of, you know, what that will be um, if you are making that big of a commitment, but yeah, I, I'm not out on Colin Sexton at all. I'm not out on that pairing at all. And I think they have proven right now to do a decent job. And obviously, like we've said, the, the results up to this point in the season have been extremely encouraging that you can make this work with um, a non-traditional uh, lineup pairing, but one that has been really, really effective. So I think um, even if you know Colin hasn't had a breakout year by any stretch, um, I would say he even has struggled a little bit at times. Um, but what we've seen so far has been encouraging for um, the mindset of, okay, these guys can be part of the future, all of them, including Sexton. So yeah, looking at, you know, what we think might be a number for Colin, um, you know, there, there's been a lot of talk, especially just amongst, you know, Cavaliers, you know, Cleveland media of, you know, could this guy be a max player? Um you know, the, you have those people on one end, on one end, uh, the other end, you know, you have people saying that they wouldn't go above 15 million for them. So I, I do think that if they were to come to a number in between 20 and 25 million annually, um, that would be something that Cleveland at this point, I think, especially would be comfortable matching. Um, I'm not sure if there's going to be a Detroit and Oklahoma City out there that really views him as an important enough piece to go above that. You know, I can see them liking that pairing with a Cade Cunningham or a Shea Gildas Alexander, but if they're willing to really commit max money to that type of guy, I'm not sure. So I think up to this point, they've seen enough to where, and, and you know, to be fair, I, I completely understand why they didn't extend him just because you didn't know how this was going to look. But I think at least based off of what we've seen so far, um, they can be comfortable enough in saying, okay, we can make this work. This guy is obviously really important to, what we want to do in the offensive end, because we are going to need to make up for maybe some of the lack of offensive production from the other positions. So if they can come to a reasonable number, again, I think in the 20 to 25, the 25 million range, which I mean, you know, shooting gets paid, scoring gets paid. That's just the way it is. Um, Personally, I would be comfortable with that. And I think that's something that you could work with moving forward. 
So the next guy I wanted to touch on was someone we hit on a little bit earlier who had an amazing game tonight, Ricky Rubio, who, so kind of going back to August when they made that trade for him, you know, it was, you know, kind of a low level under the radar deal of your, it's basically a swap of two seemingly expendable players on expiring contracts. Mm -hmm. It was Torian Prince and a second round pick, which is kind of inconsequential for Rubio, who was making four or five million dollars more than Prince. And at the time, you know, it, it doesn't make sense on the surface because Cleveland in this post LeBron era, it seems like they've always kind of been short on wings, even after they they drafted Okoro. And it's like, oh, you're, you're getting rid of like depth at the three, four position for an established guard that you already kind of have two of that are young that you want to mm-hmm. build around. But I mean, kind of watching some some Cavs games, it, and I'm trying not to have recency bias thinking about what he just did in Madison Square Garden tonight, but just <clears throat> more generally, I didn't really think about the fact that he, you know, played with Carl Anthony Towns in Towns' first two years in the league and has seen how a, you know, promising young young big, big man can develop. And I think he plays an important role in that as like a pass-first type, type point guard likening that to Mobley. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I don't know like what that, that relationship is or, you know, whether I'm, I'm, you know, making a connection that doesn't really exist, but it makes a lot more sense looking at it now, uh, why Cleveland made that trade than, than in August to me at least. But I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You could also just say it's to make Kevin Love happy. Well, yeah, I didn't think about that. Reuniting <laughs> Minnesota. Well, it's it's also to make Ed Davis happy. You know, they were both and Ed Minnesota Davis happy. Year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe signing Ed Davis was just to make Ricky Rubio happy. I have no idea. Right. But um, but yeah, kind of just going like back to when the trade happened. Um, yes, Tarian Prince was you know technically one of the wings on this team, and well, I think he had a really good run in Cleveland. Obviously, you know started off really, really hot at the time they traded for him along with Jared Allen, um, was shooting the crap out of the ball. Uh, that cooled off, uh, dealt with injuries, dealt with ankle injuries in particular. Um, and, you know, that kind of limited his game. And it was it was clear that, the, you know, the production had shifted from being a really efficient scorer to being a really inefficient guy who just wasn't really comfortable looking on the floor. Um, and then obviously had a season-ending ankle injury – or not ankle injury, per se, but – surgery um that cut a season short um but at the same time looking at what this team was going to be heading into the offseason um yes they were thin at the small forward spot obviously the main two guys being Isaac Coro and Jetty along with him um but they were also coming in with I, I don't know the number off the top of my head now but Tari and Prince um they drafted Evan Mobley Kevin Love Larry Nance at the time um even guys like Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade, who have proven to be, you know, have some value in spot minutes. Um, Dean Wade, especially, you know, has he's been getting starts, you know, on the Cavaliers here as of late at small forward. And I think he's shown a lot as, you know, a real guy who can be a part of a rotation. Um, the shot, he's been finding a little bit of inconsistency this year, but defensively he's been great. Um, but there were just, you know, the point being, there were a lot, a lot, a lot of guys at that power forward spot to where, you know, you weren't going to be able to keep and play all of them. Um, So from that perspective, I completely understand, you know, them trying to move on and address other positions. Um, And you can say, yes, you know, the Cavs have two guards that they're focusing on in, you know, Sexton and Garland, but 
the Cavs backup minutes last year were occupied by Damian Dotson, who, despite, you know, spending most of his years as an off-ball guard, a combo guard, did, you know, take on a lot of ball handling responsibilities and playmaking responsibilities. And I thought did okay with that in kind of a role that wasn't exactly suited for him. Um, but at the same time, shot 27% from three and was just abysmal as a shooter for a guy who came into the league because of his shooting. Um, I should also mention Dylan Windler on the wing. I guess I just not thought of that, but he wasn't really much of anything last year just because of injuries and inconsistency there. But um when it wasn't Damian Dotson at the back of point guard minutes, it was Del Vadova. That obviously wasn't really working that well either. Um, is basically the point I'm making. And, you know, for Minnesota's side, obviously they made a move that, you know, gave him some breathing room under the tax line. Um, I'm not sure Rubio was a great fit with, you know, D'Angelo Russell, um, Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley, um, just a lot of guys who kind of need the ball in their hands a lot. But here in Cleveland, obviously, I mean, he's been fantastic. Um you know, I guess I mentioned Kevin Love earlier, who, by the way, Kevin Love, we talk about things breaking right for this Cavs team. Um, I wasn't expecting anything from Love coming into the season. And he's been a really, really positive force out there as well. Obviously, you know, isn't bringing much defensively these days and has shown a clear lack of effort at times as far as just kind of seeing a guy open on the wing and thinking – I could go close out on him or I could just kind of let him shoot. And more than often than not, he's just kind of decided to let him shoot. But um, on a team that has struggled well with defensive rebounding uh, and just rebounding in general, I think he's been really, really good there. Um, has been able to generate offense in the mid post. He's been shooting it well from three. So this is kind of a side tangent, you know, but another guy who's really been um, a plus in a way that I didn't exactly expect. Um, and I think that Rubio has been another reason why he has been so good. I mean, those two clearly have chemistry together. They clearly get together, you know, get along with each other well. Um, and that shows on the floor that those two have been able to work off each other in a two-man game really, really well. Um, having a young big and Mobley, um, you know, having a very, very experienced um, guard who, you know, is one of the better playmakers in the league to throw him the ball has been huge as well. I mean, you, you said earlier, you know, having that experience with a young big like Carl Anthony Towns, I think there's definitely a parallel there um, as just a guy who is not only able to teach him things and, you know, be able to provide uh, all of his knowledge, but also just to be able to find him in the right spots. Um, and I think Garland has been able to do that as well at a high level, but, you know, a lot of times with young, young teams with young guards, um, they don't exactly know how to, how to make the most out of, you know, a big like Mobley. Um, you know, a lot of, of Mobley's offensive impact is being able to be in the right position to catch those lobs, um, but he does need somebody to throw him. So having that has been obviously huge. Um, defensively, I think he's a step above both Garland and Sexton. Um, just more active there, is able to really get up into guys, uh, has been active off ball too. Um, and I guess – Outside of that, like, I mean, obviously I haven't watched the Knicks game, but the Cavs have relied on him to carry the team late in the game more than once. And, like, the shooting hasn't always been there, but there have also been times where the shooting has been there in a way that it has, like, never been outside of the Olympics for Ricky Rubio. Mm -hmm. Um, He was 8 for 9 from 3 tonight. Yeah, 8 for 9 from 3 tonight. And, obviously, you know, I can't speak as to what exactly happened because I didn't see it but it sounds like Ricky Rubio put the team on his back. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
scored 37 points to will them to a victory. Uh, we saw against Atlanta earlier this season where um, basically, you know, nobody really has it going but him. And he just kind of says, fine, I'll do it. And scores the Nets again from that game from three. Uh, has really been able to just take over at times in a way that I don't think anybody has expected from Rubio at this point in his career where, you know, has made stops in, in you know, Utah, Phoenix, Minnesota, um, and has been a positive impact player in all those spots. But I think, you know, especially looking back at like the days in Utah, um, there was just a question of how much shot creation you can get with him in your starting lineup, um, even next to a guy like Donovan Mitchell. So being able to rely on him to consistently hit mid-range jumpers, um, to consistently hit mid-range, you know, floaters and whatever else to hit corner threes to, you know, be able to pull up on the wing. Um, you know, the shot doesn't look any prettier. It doesn't look any smoother. Um, and there are serious questions as to how long this hot streak will last. Um, but we have seen it, you know, carry over from the Olympics and he's still kind of riding that wave. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody expected to just have like three wins now just because Ricky Rubio bailed them out late in the game or whenever else. Um, but he's been insanely important in that regard too, so far. You uh, left out Rubio's 48 hour stop in Oklahoma city, but I'll, but I'll forgive you for that <laughs> after the Chris Paul trade before okay. the trade to the Wolves. Yeah, I, I did leave out the, uh, the Oklahoma city stop. I should have mentioned that as well. You, you brought up Windler uh, and I wasn't planning on asking this, but I just to quickly like, so he had a $4 million rookie scale uh, option that got picked up mm -hmm. or that they're, you know, they're, they're going to pay him $4 million next year. And I thought that was one of the ones along with like Goga and Jared Culver, who ultimately got mm -hmm. declined. One of the more uncertain ones. Yeah. Kind of like on the fence there. So were you surprised that they didn't decline that option? Um, if you had asked me this over the summer, I would say I was really surprised. Um, I mean, obviously, first of all, we are talking about $4 million here. It's not like we're talking about a, a you know, Culver level option to where, you know, it's going to be more of a significant commitment. Um, I won't say I'm shocked at this point. Um, yeah, over the summer, it was kind of just at a point oh, and over last season when he was just still dealing with injuries, it was just kind of at a point with, you know, I have no idea what has happened to this guy. He's a guy who came into the league as a three-point specialist who had, you know, never dealt with a significant injury through high school or through his college career. Um, you know, he comes to the NBA and all of a sudden now he has a stress fracture and he has an issue, you know, with his knee, he's having knee soreness. Um, he finally comes in healthy uh, and looks really, really good in that first game against the Hornets. Um, you know, lab talking about last season and then goes up to contest a shot, I believe, and comes down and breaks his wrist. Um, and that keeps him out for a really long period of time, uh, comes back later and has a period of time where he hits like nine straight threes between like three games. Um, and then is out like the rest of the way with knee soreness again to where it's just like, you know, no, none of these injuries are related and none of them have been issues in the past, but it is kind of a legitimate question of, okay, you just cannot stay healthy right now. You know, you're not the most built frame. You know, he is kind of a thin guy um, who might be kind of injury prone in the league. Um, I don't blame him for it because 
he hasn't been able to get a consistent run in you know a, a consistent stretch of games to really find rhythm. He hasn't really had a full off season to you know work on anything. He's just been working on getting healthy. But the three point shooting had been wildly inconsistent last year, and kind of continues into this year to where he's still kind of finding it. But um, yeah, I think at this point, uh, obviously dealt with a little bit of stuff coming into this year too. I mean, missed most of training camp. Um, but yeah, at this point, um, I think we have seen flashes again, um, to where if he can just stay healthy, I think one, this team obviously just needs guys at the wing. Um, it's just kind of been an open tryout at this position and Jetty Osmond has been, I mean, again, talk about things breaking the Cavs way. Uh, Jetty Osmond has just decided that he's going to be good now, I guess. Um, and after having a horribly inconsistent shooting season last year where he actually did start off really hot and fell off a cliff, um, hopefully that doesn't happen again this year because he's shooting coming into tonight. I don't know what he did tonight, but shooting over 50% from three um, on, you know, good enough volume, um, difficult enough attempts to where you're like, okay, you know, is this real this time? Um, and I still don't know if it is because, again, I just – it's been so inconsistent up to this point. I don't know – what to believe and what not to believe with him, but it has been a tryout with, you know, Jetty with Dylan, with Dean Wade, um, with Lamar Stevens. Um, Denzel Valentine hasn't gotten a shot yet, but he was signed, I think for the reason of maybe competing for minutes on the wing along with everyone else. But I I think Dylan Windler has shown just as much promise as anyone else. Um, Again, I don't know when and if the shooting is going to come around with him because it still just has been pretty inconsistent up to this point. But I think he's also shown a lot in other areas um, in all of his NBA minutes that he's played up to this point. I think he's proven to be, you know, an above average, an above average uh, positional rebounder Um, has always been active there. And I think again, on a team where you have guys who get pushed around a little bit and Mobley and Allen, um, this team does need as much rebounding as they can get from other positions. I think Dylan Windler, um, if given a big enough role, can be a boost in that area. Um, is really, really long and, again, moves his feet well enough to where he can be effective on defense. He gets into passing lanes a lot um, and, and can just disrupt things off ball, um, again, long enough to where he can be at least in front of guys and not just get blown by entirely. Um, if that makes sense, I guess that sounds kind of weird coming out. But just – has enough length to bother people in a way that, you know, maybe a, a, a Darius Garland to Colin Sexton doesn't um, moves his feet better than a guy like Jetty, who is just kind of a turnstile on defense. So there are reasons to believe that he can kind of earn those backup small forward minutes. Um, and I guess the hope is that, you know, he can just kind of be a part of that mix again next year and at $4 million. Um, I guess it is just a worthwhile gamble that, you know, maybe he can be a part of this team moving forward. You mentioned Chetty's shooting. He went over five tonight in 31 minutes for three, but he was shooting okay. 50% well, from three coming into this game. So he's probably still in the mid to high 40s after tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two more kind of roster construction things that I wanted to run by you. So this is this one was really out of left field. I don't know how, how you feel felt about it when super late into free agency 
it was announced that Laurie Markkinen was signing with the Cleveland Cavaliers in a sign and trade. It was out of left field. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they traded Larry Nance, who's like four and a half years older than than Laurie. Um, and he was on a very reasonable contract. He had two years left at twenty million total. And they and signed Markkinen. And by everybody in Northeast Ohio. Well, yeah, yeah, because of his dad and everything. Yeah. And um, they signed Markkinen to, I mean, it was a pretty rich contract, especially yeah. because it was so late in free agency. It's kind of the question of like, where else is that money coming from? That money? Like yeah. who's, who's the competing offer? Um, I think there, there was a similar line of thinking with the, with the DeMar signing, like who was coming anywhere close to what the, the, the bulls gave him. He's been great, but still like similar line of thinking of, you know, like, w- did they really have to pay four for 67? I, I know that only 55 is guaranteed, but still that's like, you know, significantly more, money than they owed to to Nance. Um, and as you mentioned, Markkinen, first of all, he's starting at the three, which is like, you think of him as a four who can maybe like, <laughs> maybe be like a, you know, stretch five. And instead he's like guarding LeBron. And, and we saw those minutes where he played at the three in Chicago and they did not mm-hmm. go well. Right. And, and it's weird because this year he's only shooting 28% from three on six attempts a game, which is like, you know, you would think that that's kind of the skill that he brings to his table is shooting. But mm-hmm. you mentioned the defense has actually been halfway decent relative to his, his new position of small forward. So with all that being said, like what did you think of that um, deal that the, the Cavs made basically uh, going from Nance to marketing and paying, you know, significantly more for that player? Well, um, Obviously, at the time, I didn't know the Caps' plans uh, as far as how they planned to use him, and I really didn't know how they planned to use him. And I also didn't know that in this super weird way that they've decided to use him, it would have actual success. So um, I always kind of understood that it was just an upside swing, and it was going for a young player with more upside um, who did get overpaid, but you know, like we said, I think only six million of the 18 million in the last year is guaranteed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, is somebody who, even if it doesn't work out, isn't, you know, going to kill you like an Andrew Wiggins making 27, whatever, you know, it, it, it might be a bad contract, but it's not going to be a thing that, you know, completely n- not a Kevin Love level contract as an example on the team. But, um, but yeah, it was definitely still weird. Um, I didn't expect Larry Markkinen to give this team much of anything defensively and going from Larry Nance, who was the team's most important defender to him uh, was a bit concerning. Um, I'll be honest at the time I saw it as a move that said, okay, we don't think that we're as good as all these other teams in the East. Um, And I kind of thought that that type of move was them acknowledging that, you know, we're going to play this young, we're, we're going to kind of take a step back because really, I mean, looking at the East this year, um, it is insanely deep and insanely competitive. Like there are only a couple of bad teams at the bottom of the East. The other teams are going in right now trying to win, you know, the Chicago's, the Indiana's, the Charlotte's of the world have, you know, really tried to win games this year. Um, all the teams that were at the tops have, have kind of stayed at the top, you know, Miami, loaded up so the, you know the, overall there are just a lot of teams trying to win right now in the east and 
I kind of thought that this was going to be a move that made the Cavs worse. Um, but in the end, it was just kind of going to be a calculated risk of, okay, this team needs shooting. Uh, he's a shooter. Um, yeah, <laughs> he, he's young and he can shoot the ball. We'll figure out the rest later like they have and a lot of other decisions they've made. Um, and it, it was kind of weird because I thought, you know, okay, even if this does work out for Laurie, um, you know, if, if, if he pans out and is worth this money and looks like he could be a part of our future, um, what happens to Jared Allen at that time, you know, who they just committed $100 million to over five years? I, you know, I'm assuming you know, that Evan Mobley was still going to be their guy moving forward. So, you know, who's the odd man out here, assuming that, you know, none of them could play small forward, which I've been proven wrong up to this point. But it always kind of seemed to me like even if things did work out, um, one of them was going to have to be traded eventually. Um, and I guess, you know, the thought process was, OK, Laurie is a guy who's making in the 15 to 18 million dollar range. Um, maybe this is a guy who, if you know, I won't even say a star player becomes unhappy, but you know, this is the type of guy where you have a young, intriguing player on a sizable salary. Maybe this is the guy who you can trade for a wing, and that's how this team makes the next step forward. And you know, getting a real starting caliber wing, a uh, traditional wing on the roster, and maybe that can be obviously not on the same level of Chris Paul, but like the Chris Paul for this team to where like Chris Paul was added to the Suns and like that was kind of, you know, part of the, like that was kind of when I guess what I'm trying to say, like they turned the corner and like that was the piece that helped them turn the corner um, on a smaller scale. Maybe they could find that guy using Laurie Markin as a trade chip. Um, but as I've said, I've been completely wrong up to this point. Uh, Laurie Markkinen has proven that he can play small forward and that he can do it well. Um, he can hold up defensively, which I did not expect to be the case. Um, and I think he's proven to be a good enough shooter through the course of his career to where that end should, you know, kind of elevate from where it's at now too. So maybe he is the guy at that position. Yeah, that's, I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. I, I hadn't, except I hadn't really thought about how he could have, he could potentially be down the road that like middle size salary that along with sweetener can get you like a, you know, a real difference maker. Um, Harrison hope, Barnes type, for example, whoever right. it would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, just kind of quickly going through my cap sheets, the first team I saw and you have to go by like, you know, a team that is probably in like a rebuild was Jeremy Grant, who I, I, mm-hmm. it, but that like type of guy, yeah, like, that Bogdan type Bogdan of guy that is another who like right. kind of floated out there is just, sure. Yeah, sure. And the the last thing that I the last question I had was, and you just mentioned uh, the Jared Allen contract. So, so so just going back a little bit, it was an absolute heist that they got this guy. Like so they basically mm-hmm. the the pick that they used to get him was the the, the pick. Milwaukee pick that they got from trading George Hill and taking on some money in December of 2018, and in this this whole Harden trade when Houston just decides that they want picks and expiring contracts instead of Jared Allen and Karis Avert, which is weird. Um, Milwaukee's like, yeah, we'll, (laughs) mm -hmm, yeah, (laughs) we'll, we'll, uh, you know, if, so from, from Cleveland's perspective, it's like, all we have to do is take on Torian Prince's money and we get Jared Allen for a pick that's probably going to be 30. And give up Dante Exum. Sorry. I, I, 
that, that's... Kid. <laughs> I, yes, the, the, the jewel of the Jordan Clarkson trade. Yes. So they trade for Allen. He's he's solid player, but the Cavs were kind of out of it last year. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't have the opportunity to extend him. Brooklyn probably didn't extend him because they wanted to trade him in a potential Harden mm-hmm. trade. Um, so he, he hits restricted free agency. No one really understands what the market is. It's, you know, it's definitely higher than this, like, hurdle you know, Zubat, Thomas Bryant, mm-hmm. seven and nine million range, but it's not like anywhere near a max either. And five for a hundred sounds really rich, right? Um, mm-hmm. But he, I, I think he's proven this year that he's worth that contract. Like he's a, you know, a to this a point, he's mid, lived up to it, right? Like a mid to upper, you know, tier center. So, yeah, I mean, what have you seen from him specifically? And you, you've kind of touched on the Mobley-Allen fit a little bit, but get into more of that of whether you can actually see that being like the long-term foundational four and five for the Cavs. Yeah, sure. Um, and I guess, you know, not only is he living up to this contract right now, um, but he's also only 23 years old. Um, and, you know, there are clear areas where, you know, you can see him improving in. So, yeah, I think the contract, it was a lot of money to commit to the guy, but I think, you know, it's harder to question it now than it was at the time. Um, and I think another thing that kind of gets missed again by people who maybe don't follow the Cavaliers as closely um, is that Chris Fedor, who's like the primary Cavs beat reporter, um, had been reporting that five for a hundred was like the number for probably like a couple months leading up to I didn't see that. Wow. the actual contract. Like he had that, that had been floated out there for like quite some time before it actually happened. So I, you know, like personally, I wasn't really surprised when it happened. Um, it seemed like the Cavaliers were more so, you know, more than saying, okay, we're going to test the market and see what, you know, the market thinks you're worth. Um, they were really just kind of making the commitment to the guy and saying, you know, Hey, we really, really value you. We want you around. Um, you know, this is what we're going to offer. And obviously Jared Allen accepted. Um, but yeah, you know, I think a lot of people questioned the Mobley-Allen pairing, and that's another reason as to, like, why are you, you know, committing this much money to this guy when you just drafted your center of the future? Um, but I, I always have been supportive of the pairing, even if I was a little bit hesitant on the contract at first. Um, I am fully bought in, and I really have been fully bought in, that that those two can play together. Um Again, I think they're both mobile enough on the perimeter to where they can, you know, both switch around and, you know, maybe not switch on the guards, but, you know, they're both switchable defenders at the center position or at the power forward position, whatever you want to call either of them. Um, And I really didn't think that Mobley was going to be able to survive. I don't want to know if, I don't know if I want to say survive, but I didn't know if center was going to be Evan Mobley's best position anyway, coming into the NBA. I always kind of thought it was going to be power forward and you know, clearly that was the Cavaliers' plan as well, is to, you know, not throw him directly into the fire in that way of having to guard the biggest guy on the other team every single night. Um, because I don't think that that's something that he would be ready for right now. As good as he's been in so many areas, uh, that would have been one where I think he would have struggled quite a bit. So, yeah, I think, you know, again, they play off of each other really, really well. Um each of them, you know, being able to be, you know, having a legitimate weak side rim protector at all times um, when they're on the floor is really, really useful. Um, having two guys who can just swallow up anybody who comes in to, you know, the paint 
um, along with Laurie, who again has made this whole thing work really, really well. Um, you know, the, the defensive concerns, I don't think any defensive concerns anybody may have had have really just been eliminated because, you know, they're both switchable, they're both mobile, um, and they're both able to protect the rim, which is, you know, what you want out of your bigs. Now, rebounding has been a little bit of an issue, but, you know, I don't think you're going to get more rebounding from having, you know, Tarian Prince at the power forward position instead of, Mobley, I don't think you're going to have more from a guy like that um, next to Jared Allen. So, you know, I think even if they're above or even if they're below average rebounders for seven footers, um, you know, I still think they're above average rebounders as basketball players in general. And especially in Mobley's case, as he does continue to get stronger and as, you know, he does continue to adapt. I mean, you know, for as comfortable as he looks, he is what now – 12, 13, 11, is it now games into his NBA career? Mm-hmm. Um, 11. You know, there's still a lot for him to learn. There are still a lot of things for him to figure out as a player. So, you know, you expect that to come with time. Um, and offensively, like, again, just the passing that Evan Mobley has shown um, has opened up so many things for those two. Like, there have been some fun two-game, two-man game moments there with them um, to where you're even, you know, kind of having – one with a dribble handoff off the other and the other, you know, diving to the rim. Um, we have seen, you know, some high low action between the two, which is, you know, not something you see a ton of in the NBA, but when you have two legitimate big men and one of them who can really pass well, um, you can make it work. Uh, you know, Jared Allen prefers to live primarily around the paint. And I think with Evan Mobley kind of being able to exist in the mid range area a little bit more, um, you know, they coexist well enough on offense. Um, you know, you can have Mobley out on the wings on the perimeter a little bit more as well. Um, but, you know, Evan Mobley is not a guy who needs to just live in the paint. Um, even like I said, you know, the way that a Jared Allen type needs to. Um, so, yeah, I think even moving forward as Evan Mobley, you know, continues to build a little bit more strength and starts to look more, maybe like a little bit more like a traditional center. Um, I still think that their skill sets work well enough together. Um you know, I don't think that there's a glaring issue, a glaring weakness that one of them has that like prevents the two of them from playing together. So I think having to like that on the floor, if you're able to, um, has this team has proven that that's a good thing. Uh, and I, I don't really see any reason as to why they would have to, you know, go off that path, especially if Jared Allen looks like a positive value player on his contract. So the last section I wanted to get to, it's just going to be three you know, very like bird's eye view type of questions that are a little bit of like kind of a gut feeling of what the future holds. You know, you've, you've been a Cavs fan for so many years now. I, I presume that um, you're able to at least hypothesize um, about these questions. Yeah. So the first two are, are pretty much the same question. So these, this conversation has been really player focused. And as you mentioned, like the game doesn't exist without players, but there's also there's also a coach. There's also a GM. So first, um, so under the hypothetical or of, or the scenario of envision the next great Cavs team, or maybe not great, but like a perennial playoff team. Do you think JB Bickerstaff is the coach of that team? I, I'm not 100% sure. Um, coming into this year, I would have said probably not. Uh, I think JB has proven to be able to coach a really good defense. Um, 
you know, I think when he had all the guys that he wanted to have last year, um, you know, the Cavaliers had at one point, like the number one ranked defense in the league. Um, you know, I think he is just good at utilizing, you know, big lineups and putting guys in positions to succeed. Um, has been really, really good in that regard. Uh, you know, the biggest knock on him has been the offensive side of the ball, where I would say coming into this year, he's been, you know, really unimaginative. It's been a lot of simple sets, a lot of, you know, just kind of basic pick and roll. Doesn't never really shown any real creativity um, outside of just kind of favoring big lineups at time, which I mean, when you know, the, the big lineup has been the thing of this year, but this hasn't been an experiment that the Cavaliers have been trying for about three years now. Um, you know, dating back to when they traded for Andre Drummond and they were running out, you know, the Andre Drummond, Kevin Love, you know, Larry Nance was the original big, you know, big mm -hmm. three lineup guy with, you know, two other traditional bigs on the floor. Um, you know, that has always been something that he's, you know, been willing to experiment with and, you know, to some success even back then, you know, those lineups were effective at times when you have a guy like Larry Nance or like, Laurie, Evan, Jarrett now who are at least switchable enough to not get burnout on the perimeter. But um, yeah, and, you know, I think it, he has been shown to be a good, you know, culture guy, a good locker room guy, a good leader of young men. Um, you know, I haven't seen anything to suggest that, you know, the, the guys don't like him or don't respect him. They all do seem to, he just seems to be a calming presence as well. Um but at the same time, you know, looking at when this team is going to be, you know, a legitimate playoff team that, you know, like you said, a perennial playoff team, a, a conference finals threat or whatever it might be. Um, I think the Cavaliers have shown good progress this year, um, but if they were to stagnate next year or whenever, uh, we just don't see head coaches, especially, you know, not top tier head coaches stick around forever. Um, and if there does come a time where he loses the voice of the locker room, um, it's not going to be very long until he is out of there, but um, you know, coming into this year, I think there was maybe not a ton of heat on him, but some to where, you know, if he, if this team was going to be poor again this year, then, you know, maybe they would be looking in a different direction. Um, but again, the, the, the creativity that he's shown, which I'm sure was partially influenced by the front office when they traded for Larry Markinen, you know, I'm sure that there was kind of a collaboration there that, you know, like, Hey, we're going to get this guy and we, we need to agree that, you know, this is how we're going to make this work. Um, but, you know, JBS played along with it and it's, it's worked well up to this point. Um, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sold that he's going to be the guy moving forward, but I think he's shown a lot as a coach this year um, as just being willing to, you know, really for the first time as I've seen him as a coach, be able to improvise on offense, um, you know, and at the end of games, it's still not the most creative sets. Um, it is a lot of just heavily leaning on a guy like Ricky Rubio to like hit movement threes off the dribble, which I'm not sure again, like I said earlier, how long that's going to last, um, you know, relying on, on Darius Garland to create for you, relying on Colin Sexton to just create for you. Um, so, and especially like, that's the type of thing that, you know, if, if, if this team ever does get to the playoffs and, you know, you're really in the heat of the moment, then um, some of JB's flaws might get exposed a little bit more there as well. Um, and that where we might, that, that might be where we really kind of start to see the, the question of, is this the guy, but, you know, at the same time, we don't know that right now. Um, this team hasn't been to the playoffs in a while. Um, it might happen this year. It might not. Um, so for the meantime, I don't think that there's any reason to say that, 
um, he's not the coach that should be coaching this team right now. Um, but there, there are so many different factors that could be, that could factor into the long term to where, like, if I had to guess, I'd say he's probably not the guy. But mm-hmm. that's not to say that he couldn't be. Yeah, that's that's probably where I land on that as well. Um, and same same question about Kobe Altman, who is like, I mean, he you know doubled down on you know a small guard drafting Garland mm-hmm. when he it was clearly like just the best player available strategy from his and like the front office's perspective. And now he's doubled or you want to call it tripled down on bigs. Um, but you know it's early in the season, but they've had some success um, for kind of the first time since LeBron. I, I, I don't remember how they've started seasons in years past, but I, I know it hasn't ended well. Well, it started 3-0 um, last year. They did. I forgot about that. Yeah, and yeah, it was them and, and the Magic. Drummond carrying them to victories. I remember what that. What a so, horrible time. <laughs> what do you think about – yeah, just kind of summarize Altman's kind of like track record and do you think that he can actually construct, you know, a team as, as Mobley develops? Uh, I'll say as far as Altman, um, I didn't love, like, at the time that the Cavaliers brought him in and, like, the whole David Griffin situation went down, uh, which was really just really, really messy and poor timing. Um, I didn't love Altman at the beginning. Um, I think he didn't – I don't know exactly how I want to say it, but I think he just kind of settled on the trade that he got for Colin Sexton. Um, and – to be fair, you're a new GM, um, and the first thing you're being asked to do is trade Kyrie Irving. Um, that's not an easy thing to do, and I think he, he did make some mistakes. I think you know the way he handled the Kyrie trade was one of them. Um, obviously, the Kevin Love extension was one of them. Um, at the time, I thought that you know not trading the the you know what ended up being the eighth overall pick might be one of them. Um, obviously, in hindsight the Cavaliers are much better off with Colin Sexton than they ever would have been with DeAndre Jordan. Um, You know, that would have not been a piece that would have swung this team the other way in the finals in which they got swept. Um, But after that point, I think the track record for him has been mostly positive. And that's not to say that, you know, there haven't been bumps along the way, but, you know, a lot of people want to look at over the past few years when this team hasn't been winning games, um, and, you know, I mean, it, fans of a team are always going to get frustrated and when they're not winning games, they're just going to call for people to get fired because they're impatient. Um, but looking at, you know, how, what the lack of talent was on a lot of these teams, um, you know, starting with that year post when, you know, people say they want their team to be competitive and want to win games. The goal was to be competitive after LeBron left. And there just wasn't enough there. And that became apparent really, really quickly. Um, And they ended up, despite all of that, with the fifth overall pick. They ended up with, and a pick that could have been Luka Doncic, which ended up falling to eight because Spencer Dinwiddie went berserk to end the season. And the odds were lower. They ended up with the eighth pick. They ended up with Sexton. Um, They have a really bad year. Um, Despite that, they ended up with the fifth pick in what was considered a two-player draft with Zion and Ja. Um, they take Garland, who has up to this point panned out. Um, they have another really bad year and end up, you know, in, in a year where it was kind of considered, say, a three-player draft with LaMelo, Edwards, and Wiseman, they end up with the fifth pick and get Isaac Okoro. 
um, who again at the time was what they needed a wing defender, just not was never going to be the franchise cornerstone, but just another helpful guy that can slowly help move this team along. Um, and then they finally get that luck this year and hit Mobley. Um, and now look at where they're at. Obviously, like this team is having real success. So, yeah, I think he's never been one to make, you know, outside of the Kyrie trade, I guess, you know, the, the giant move. But I think that that's a good thing as to where, you know, when he has been getting a lot of heat, uh, he never has changed the direction that he's wanted to go with this team. Um, you know, at a time when people were calling for this team to win more games, um, he understood where they were heading and, you know, didn't feel pressured to make the win now move um, that would have hurt them in the future just because this team, you know, needed to do something right now. Um, they did something similar to that in Drummond, but it's not like they paid more than a non second round pick and John Henson and Brandon Knight. Like it, it was a, a worthwhile, I think, investment to see if it would work. Um, and it didn't, and they moved on and it didn't really hurt them. Um, you know, the KPJ is another thing to where, you know, that was always going to be a calculated risk. Um, it just didn't work out. I think not, you know, the, the pandemic happening and not being able to keep as close of an eye on him as maybe the team would have liked um, was really the downfall of that situation for Cleveland. Um, you know, they were really able to keep him, uh, like I said, kind of just a close eye on him, keep him around the team, keep him around the organization and just kind of keep him in check, I guess. Um, and when they weren't able to do that, and when he was sent home during the pandemic, you know, a lot of unfortunate events happened involving, you know, legal issues and, you know, whatnot. I don't want to get into all of it. And I don't think we know everything that happened. You know, things went the way they went, but I think it's hard to look at what he's done and say that, you know, like outside of some early mistakes, um, which I mean, again, the guy was new to his job. Um, and I don't think anyone could have seen that Kevin Love was going to have this sort of injury luck either when he signed that extension, um, even if it wasn't a great move when it was made. But yeah, overall, the, the job he's done building this team after kind of some of those early bumps, um, even if it hasn't been a fast process, I don't see how you can say with the lottery luck that he's had, he hasn't done a good job building this team and getting them to where they are now. Mm-hmm. And the last question is about Mobley, which I think is a good place for this conversation to end because, as you mentioned, like, you know, three straight years of top five picks, Garland, Okoro, and finally, in a, you know, a draft, they, they get what's considered a tier one player um, by the consensus. Mm-hmm. And Mobley is just so fun to watch. I mean, first of all, he's like, I don't know, he's just so, so wow. long. He, he just moves so, you know, yeah. smoothly over the court and you can just, imagine a future in a few years where you know he he's not you know like a luca trey like oh this is our guy he's just gonna you know have the ball you know he's he's running pick and roll he's just isolating at the end of games whatever um but i think he's a foundational piece and i think there's a lot of you know parallels to like anthony davis let's say chris chris bosh and toronto and we would probably view his career differently if he didn't like form the the big three and if his you know career didn't get cut short but what do you think Mobley's ceiling is like you know at what is a high-end outcome for him multi-time defensive player of the year who can also put up you know low 20s you know can can be a 21 8 and 6 guy for you on you know high efficiency someone who you know 
again, showing flashes and he's not there yet with the three point shot, you know, the, the mid range, you know, ability is encouraging, but somebody who can maybe shoot, you know, 36% on decent volume from outside. Um, someone who can work in the mid range and get those shots, someone who puts on 20, you know, 20 to 25 pounds to where he's not getting bullied inside. Um, and somebody who is just an absolute freak who can, you know, defend literally any position um, as well as anyone else in the league. He's a high-end rim protector who is also an efficient offensive player. Um, you know, we'll see how many of those things actually end up happening. Um, but I think it's more than reasonable to expect that, like, more than just a few of those things will happen. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm saying that is the absolute high-end outcome. But right. um, but no, I think they absolutely have like the piece to build around now in him. Um, and I think you know pieces like Garland, pieces like Sex, and pieces like Allen are you know pieces that work around him. And you know I think they have something real here um, in him. And so yeah, if if Mobley were to truly reach what you know I guess he could become as a player, uh, he's the type of player that you can you can build a championship team around. I yeah, I, I don't know if you saw uh, this tweet by Ryan Rosillo, but when they played the Lakers, I think they ultimately lost that game. But Rosillo tweeted, when is LeBron going back to Cleveland to play with Mobley? And I, I, I thought you would enjoy that one. <laughs> hey, um, a lot of Cleveland Browns and Cleveland Cavaliers related tweets from LeBron lately. Just saying. He he tweeted about Rubio going off. I, I did see that. time... In the time where the Lakers are struggling, he's making a lot of tweets about Donovan Peoples Jones or the Browns, a lot of other Browns. Commented Kevin when Love Sexton is the matching salary. Yeah, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Love, maybe throwing Jetty. Maybe a second. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, and maybe a second. Maybe a second. <laughs> All right, Justin, this was a great conversation. I, I've already been thinking about the Cavs a lot, but this is probably going to get me thinking even more, you know, working in the trade machine, breaking down film. I, I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic as a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. So, yeah, thank you for taking the time. Um, and, yeah, I, I think we'll both be watching the Cavs closely as the, the season progresses. Definitely. Thank you for having right. me on, buddy. My pleasure.